This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Bentley coming to you from Highlands, North Carolina. Hey, this is Callan. It's another rainy Wednesday here in Highlands. Uh, You seem to be handling it well, though, with your hot cup of water. water. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm drinking a hot cup of water. My mother does this all the time, and it's kind of comforting. Feels like a kind of survival, survival kind of thing. (laughs) <laughs> like hydrating <laughs> well hydrating but just kind of making it through the winter yeah yeah i mean you can only drink so much tea i think so it's just nice to have a cup of water yeah um kellen i noticed the other day i saw a book on your table you were reading frank griswold's book how's yes. that going so there's this book called searching for the holy ghost holy spirit yeah holy ghost um it's by frank griswold who was the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church from 1997 to 2006 or something like that. And How did you pull that out? I'm not sure if those are the right dates. Okay. But I think that's right because Michael became PB in 2015 and it's a nine-year term. So I backtracked wow. two bishops. Well done, Kellen. Anyway, so he's a presiding bishop and he has this lovely just sort of memoir reflection on his you know, his life growing up and why he became a priest and how he sort of surprisingly maybe became a bishop and then very much more unexpectedly became the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. And um, it's one of those books that I feel like you could just read a tiny little passage um, and contemplate it for a long period of time. But I've been doing that for a while now, so I thought I'd just try to finish the book since it's yours and <laughs> it's not mine and I've had it for a while. Anything in particular that jumped out, has jumped out? Um, I'm in this section, I'm reading through a section on prayer right now and um, I've been thinking about, he quotes, I believe, Abraham Heschel. And, who was a rabbi. Um, who wrote the book on Sabbath that's so famous, I think. Yeah, yeah, sort of a famous rabbi. And Abraham Heschel has this quote about how prayer... Ooh, I'm going to have to try to come up with it. Um, that prayer is not just speech, right? Speech is there to inform, but prayer is there to partake, Um, which I think is like a really lovely description of prayer that it's, it's not just sort of like you informing God or God informing you, but this sort of mutual partaking in the other. Um, so that was kind of a gem that spoke to me yesterday evening as I was reading it. You quote the book a lot or you sort of read pieces of the book well for me bishop griswold is a i think a an image of um what i think of as faithful uh leadership within the church um we were just reading um 
the book of James this morning in, in, a, our, Bible in a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And James says that those who want to be teachers, rabbis, uh, need to uh, exhibit meekness. They need to be peacemakers. They need to be... Um, willing to yield. We- willing to yield. And I think Bishop Griswold is someone who embodies that very much. So whatever he says, I tend to kind of listen closely because he it seems to spring forth from a life rooted in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's been <clears throat> just a lovely reminder. I mean, you, you read people like Frank Griswold and... Um, you know, in light of all saints, he seems to be someone who does make the faith credible, right? He's just um, exhibits characteristics that you yourself would hope to exhibit someday because it looks like Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What have you been reading, Bentley? You've been talking recently about this one book that you have sort of um, enjoyed. Yeah, I just plugged through it. It was, it was a little bitty book. It's by Frederick Bauer Schmidt. That name might be familiar to some of you all uh, because his brother is the Bishop of Tennessee um, within the Episcopal Church. Um, but this author, his brother, is a Roman Catholic uh, but has just written a book. And it's, it's really kind of uh, an introduction of sorts to the Christian faith, uh, not from a particularly Roman Catholic perspective, though it's it's much more of the kind of Catholic end of the church universal spectrum, right? He's, he's drawing on saints of the past, this kind of thing, the tradition, the creeds of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really explores uh, the love of God, God's nature as being one of love, um, and, and uses that as a, as a way into understanding the Christian faith. So we often talk about God being love and a loving God and all of this, but he explores that with some more depth. Uh, what caught my attention was Sarah Coakley uh, has written the foreword to the book. Um, so I thought if she thinks it's good, then it's probably good enough for me as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that because you've been talking about it nonstop for the last few days. I need to bring it to you. I, what, what he does, I think, so so beautifully is he's not really argue, he's not putting an argument out there about why you should believe this or why this is a reasonable thing to believe or any of that he just really kind of paints a picture of the faith and says you know this is a world that you're invited to inhabit this is a world that you are invited uh, to live inside of um and when you're done with it, it's certainly a world that you want to live inside of. Um, but it's not overly argumentative. It's just kind of laying out uh, what he thinks to be kind of a, the kind of core of the Christian faith and life. Hmm. So, so I think we'll, my, my hope, Kellen, is we haven't used Griswold's book or Bauerschmidt's book here at the church, but I, I expect that uh, in the near future, both of those will find their way into some of our educational offerings, I hope. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. Um, are y'all reading anything good out there? Let us know. Um, we'd love some recommendations if there's anything you think we'd enjoy. Absolutely. Call you can call on
Um, all this talk about Frank Griswold and, you know, the last week where we elected a new president for 2021 um, makes me think of that story about Frank Griswold at the White House. I don't know if you'd be willing to share that, Bentley. Yeah, so I... Uh riding in the car with Bishop Griswold, and I was just asking him to reflect a little bit on his time as the presiding bishop. Any funny stories? And then he kind of paused for a moment, got a look in his eye, and he said, well, uh, there was a time early on uh, when uh, President Clinton invited me to the White House for dinner. Uh, so <laughs> he he accepted the invitation and shows up in a taxi cab, uh, which I don't know if, you know, when you're showing up to the White House, if the ta- if a yellow taxi cab's the right car or not. But I think... If, what are your other options? Yeah, I don't... He didn't know. So he called the yellow cab and they took him to the White House. He got in. And he didn't tell me much about the meal or anything. But then apparently... Uh, when dinner was over, he realized that he didn't have a car. Um, (laughs) And this is pre-Uber, right? So he didn't have a car and he took this taxi. So um, he says that he just started walking down the White House lawn so he could get to the sidewalk, I guess, and, um, you know, then call a cab. And of course, you know, the Secret Service stopped him when he made it like a quarter of a way down the yard. Um, which is just, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? It's an amazing image. I think of, you know, a Bishop of the church being invited to the white house, taking a taxi cab and then just walking out the front door down the lawn (laughs) to try to get another. Yeah. I don't think you can get on the white house lawn at the moment. And I don't know if bishops are still being invited to the white house, but it's a great, it's a great story. It made me laugh. It made him laugh thinking about it. Um, it's so funny. (laughs) <laughs> so if you if you get invited to the White House, um, think about your ride both to the White House and then away from the White House. Um, I don't have a smooth transition to our gospel text, so um, this is part two of the podcast episode where we talk about the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. And the gospel reading is from the 25th chapter of Matthew, and we know it sort of traditionally as the parable of the talents. Um, We have a master slave owner, you know, figure who... has these workers, these slaves, who are um, entrusted with certain number of talents that belong to the master or slave owner. So one gets five, one gets two, one gets one. And um, they're all kind of told, keep these safe, do what you want with them, I'll be back. And, And then we hear that, you know, two of them go and make more money, make more talents. They basically double their investment. And one um, buries the talent in the ground. And so when the master and slave owner gets back, he's pretty pleased with the two who have double 
the investment and is quite displeased with the one who buried the talent in the ground. That's my summary, Bentley. Um, will that do? I think it's great. I'll, I'll just say for the folks listening, you're not preaching on Sunday. I am not. And normally when we do this, we have to kind of pull up the readings because the person who's describing uh, the text for that Sunday has to give the overview. And you just kind of did that immediately. Well, I, I prepared for this podcast <laughs> moment earlier today. Oh, great. So, yeah. you're, so, you're, so you've already kind of thought over this gospel reading a little bit. Um, a little bit. Well, what are you a chewing little bit. on? Um, um, so I guess for the listeners, maybe like one thing, one little detail about this parable should be noted because I think it's kind of like an interesting little factoid, um, which I love little interesting scripture factoids. So um, the talent, right? Bentley, do you know? how much a talent is worth. I, I, all I know is that it's, it's a whole lot of money. Yeah, exactly. It's so much money. It's like, it's like the money someone maybe could make for their entire life. So like it's when, not, it's not like even like a year's salary. I mean, I guess if you were really, really wealthy in the ancient world, but it's just like this almost unfathomable, unfathomable amount of money for an average person in Jesus' time. So for him to say, like, someone gets five talents, and the other person gets three talents, and then even one person gets one talent. We shouldn't feel bad for anyone. There's just a lot of money being thrown around right there. Okay. Like, billions. Thinking billions. A lot of money. Just a lot of money. Um, That's super helpful, because you think that somebody's at this kind of significant disadvantage because they only have one, but to say they only have one is like saying they only have... A lifetime's worth of wealth. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I guess I'm struggling a bit with the traditional interpretation of this parable, um, which I think is given to you in the text itself. Which is, I guess, the tradition. I mean, I don't know that I know this, Kellen. Is that just you got to work with what you've been given? Right. Sort of the master slave owner is sort of God depicted, right? It's always used in like stewardship moments where, Well, you know, it should be pointed out that it does come at a time of year when people are doing stewardship. So yes. Absolutely. It makes a lot purpose. of sense. Yeah. It's about money. It, I, I get why people use it for stewardship. I would use it for stewardship. I'm just struggling with maybe the classical interpretation. Like, you know, you've been given a lot, so you're expected to give a lot back. Um, when... I think we need to wrestle a little bit more with what it means to be that one person who buried the talent um, and then was scolded by the master and slave owner. I'm just kind of stuck on that figure in the parable right now. Um, Because, again, this person is thrown into the outer darkness, (laughs) which Matthew loves the outer darkness um talks about it all the time so i just i think we need to mull that person over that figure over a bit more yeah it's not we the parable is not maybe something like the prodigal son where that person that received one talent went out and just blew it all on a big party for themselves 
Yeah, he was scared. He was scared of his master. That's what it says in the the text. Like, he knew that the master was harsh or something like that. Right. I can't remember the exact words. Um, And so he was afraid, and so he buried it. Yeah. Anyway, I just created a problem for you um, (laughs) for this Sunday, and I didn't mean to, but what what are your thoughts, Bentley? All right, Kellen, so I think this is actually like a really wonderful moment just to stop for a moment. And, you know, we as priests are asked to preach every single Sunday, whether we're ready or not, whether uh, the text speaks to us uh, in profound ways or in uh, obscure ways or in confusing ways. Uh, Sunday's showing up, whether we like it or not. And we've got to wrestle with the text and try to be faithful uh, to the task of proclaiming the Word of God uh, to folks on Sunday. But I think I, like you, recognize that this parable is filled with all types of um, problems, confusing parts, um, troubling parts, uh, things that'll kind of make you scratch your head and and ask uh, whether or not this is good news at all, uh, especially if you're the one sucker that gets one talent and then gets thrown into the outer darkness. Um so, so in my mind, uh, I agree. I mean, I think a handful of the, the pitfalls or the, the struggles with a parable like this is, first, it's hard to uh, read this parable and, and not read it against the backdrop of American slavery and thinking about what that relationship uh, signals to us and what it meant for uh, people um, in the past and still today. So, it's hard to think about a loving God and trying to equate that God to a, a slave-owning master um, who then throws slaves out into the outer darkness. So that's that's certainly a, uh, a struggle. Uh, the other is that you, I think you could unintentionally or intentionally uh, slip into some kind of thinking that what God is talking about here is uh, being a shrewd investor in something like the stock market, where... Uh, really, at the end of the day, what God cares about is us just kind of maximizing our return on investment in terms of our, uh, you know, our financial resources. And uh, this is just an endorsement of us, uh, you know, being shrewd investors in the stock market. I don't think that that's what Jesus had in mind, but it would be easy, I think, to make that mistake and think that really this is just kind of um, financial advice that you would get um, from something like, uh, you know, the wall street journal or something. That's not what's going on here. So I, this is just a good moment. I think for us to say to the folks listening that scripture's not always uh, straightforward and easy. Uh, but I do think, uh, if we wrestle with it and stick with it, uh, it can at the end of the day still, uh, offer a blessing to us. Um, that doesn't, give you much, I don't think, to preach about on Sunday, but it's kind of what I'm thinking about in relation to this parable. Yeah, I mean, what you just said obviously reminds me of Jacob wrestling, you know, the heavenly visitor. Um, And as we wrestle with difficult texts of scripture, I think you're right to expect blessing, um, but maybe also right to expect an injured hip. <laughs> um, and difficulty, right? There's difficulty in this text. Um, but yes, there will be blessing. You'll find it on Sunday. 
Um, I mean, it has much to say about, I think, the abundance of the abundance that God gives us, right? And, and how we work with that abundance and what we do with it. I think the story has a lot to say about that. Um, so there, there will be blessing, but maybe we have a limp too. I could make my bed at bottom of the darkness deep Oh, but there is not a place I could escape you Here's another blessing from Jan Richardson. If this blessing were easy, anyone could claim it. As it is, I'm here to tell you that it will take some work. This is the blessing that visits you in the struggling, in the wrestling, in the striving. This is a blessing that comes after you have left everything behind after you have stepped out, after you have crossed into that realm beyond every landmark you have known. This is a blessing that takes all night to find. It's not that this blessing is so difficult, as if it were not filled with grace or with love that lives in every line. It's simply that it requires you to want it, to ask for it, to place yourself in its path. It demands that you stand to meet it when it arrives that you stretch yourself in ways you didn't know you could move, that you agree to not give up. So when this blessing comes, born in the hands of the difficult angel who has chosen you, do not let go. Give yourself into its grip. It will wound you, but I tell you there will come a day when what felt to you like limping was something more like dancing as you moved into the cadence of your new and blessed name. It was really great being with you all on this podcast. Kellen, it was a joy making uh, the podcast with you today. Oh, that's sweet, Bentley. You too. Um, we miss you all, as always. Um, there are a number of ways to plug in uh, throughout the week. We have Bible studies. We have Sunday morning education, uh, worship opportunities, both online and in the chapel. Uh, so please consider uh, joining us for those offerings if you haven't already. Um, Advent is around the corner also, so stay tuned for ways that you can walk through that season intentionally um, and with this community. Um, I'm looking forward to Advent. It's my favorite time of the church year. Really? Yeah. Wow. We Me can too. talk about Well, let's talk about this maybe in the weeks ahead. A friend told me he thinks it's the truest liturgical season. Right. We can debate that. We love you all. We miss you. God's peace. <laughs>